Good morning. Um, I, I'm suspicious that I have more uh, PowerPoint slides than we have time, um, so I'll watch the clock and try and uh, draw it to a close uh, without a jarring, abrupt halt. Uh, I did want to say something at the beginning because we're stopping and then restarting later, but uh, as you go on uh, with your week and through Thanksgiving break, you might want to take Hebrews 11 and 12 with you. 11... That whole chapter, a great cloud of witnesses that uh, that text intends to surround us with. That's helpful. And then uh, chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Uh, remember that you are that joy that was set before him. So to our text for today, yeah. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains." and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So as is our custom, we work our way gradually through this text, uh, trying to pay close attention to what it conveys to us. So you notice again these uh, uh, conjunctions, so very helpful. Our text for today begins with therefore and moves on to a for or because. Big red arrows helping us pay attention to what is in the middle. So moving us toward this, uh, these uh, subjunctives. If you know Greek, they're called the bunny subjunctives. 
because they have to do with lettuce. A Greek, Greek grammar joke. Okay, so pay attention to the conjunctions. All right, now, in between those conjunctions, there's this cause and effect. Uh, the cause flowing from God and the effect drawing us back to God. So notice what's already in place. Having, as in we already have it because God has already provided it to us. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Having a high priest over the house of God. Having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. That's a lot to have. And let's look just a little bit at each of those things. He mentions the veil. Christ has made a way for us through the veil. Remember that curtain in the temple that separated the priest from the Holy of Holies. And there was actually lots of separating going on, right? So there was a a structure around where the tabernacle was. So don't go in there. And if you happen to be inside, then there's the tabernacle. Don't go in there. And then there's the inside of the tabernacle outside of the Holy Holies. Don't go in there. And then inside the Holy... So lots of defenses and separating us from God because as we are, you can't approach Him and survive. It's sort of like going to the sun to explore what it's all about and you vaporize somewhere as you approach it. That's not the way to do it. So, the sun comes to us. So the veil is a curtain. It has to do with protected and it can't see. It has to do with separated the people from God because of our condition. So God's son becomes that protection and God visible extraordinarily. Not only by keeping us from death, but by making and being this new and living way. Second Peter refers back to that as an, an entrance provided abundantly. And of course, Jesus himself describes himself as the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews mentions having your hearts sprinkled. It makes us think of Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. And I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and observe my ordinances. This is the beauty of the Hebrew language and its verb tenses, uh, binyam, uh, has the he feel. So also learn Hebrew. Uh, God causes these things to happen in our lives for our life and well-being. And then bodies washed. You remember uh, Titus 3. Uh, Both here and in Titus, not the word baptizo, baptize, but the other word, luo, to wash, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which was shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And here's that similar language. So that having been justified by His grace we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the first Peter 3 text, baptism now saves you. And not as a washing of dirt from the flesh, because it's not earth on our bods that is the problem, the text goes on to say, but as the answer of a clear conscience before God. And we get that conscience from our advocate, from Christ. So water equals word equals, we're a wash in it, equals regeneration and relief and a remedy for our human nature. All of that having that God surrounds us with brings us forward into the effect. Three things. Let us draw near with a true heart 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider one another to love and good works. Now, I, I tend to think that we get all stuck on the third of those three. Like, yeah, we're not very good in the good works department, and we should try harder to be good in the good works department. And that's sort of like telling a fruit tree to try harder to bear more fruit, as if the tree had the capacity to do that for itself. How about moving the tree out into the sun? How about watering the tree? How about fertilizing? How about giving the tree what it needs, and then the fruit will come? So we back up. We would consider one another to stir up love and good works in as much as we were holding fast our confession. And where do we get that confession? You get that from the Word of God, from Christ Himself. So this drawing near to hang on to, as the uh, Frankie Valley said, right? Let's hang on to what we've got. Right? Hang on to that. And then you know what this confession is, which you would never abandoned because it's the only gospel there is anywhere. And that's what urges us, inspires, motivates us to consider one another to love and good works, which is what makes us pipes and not pails, conduits and not containers. For he who promised is dependable, is faithful. Right? So everything flowing from, again, the one who promised us. And so this is how Christianity, how the gospel works. The more you get it, the more you hold fast. The more you give to others, the more you get it. The more you have of it. The more you can't help giving it, the more you have of it. The more you hold fast to it. Not very good essay, but it is kind of consistent with what the text is saying to us. Not forsaking, now moving forward one more step, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I remember growing up both hearing this, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and then adopting it with my father. Listen, Dad, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And then finding out what a benevolent monarchy looks like. Yes, you do. Get in the car. Okay. So true or false, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I say... True, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But you want to listen to who's saying that to you. Does Christianity mean then just do whatever you want because Christ forgives you and you've been forgiven? That reminds me of the, uh, the invitation to Pleasure Island, remember? I love Pleasure Island. Why? Because you get to do whatever you want all the time, like smoke and drink and play pool and turn into a three-letter word. No. Let's try the next one. Christians don't go to church at all. How can you go to what you already are? So here's how Acts describes Christians. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Notice continued steadfastly, so they lived in the word, the apostles' doctrine, which produces fellowship in that word, which which moves us into a celebration of that fellowship with the Lord's Supper, which directs and motivates and inspires, notice the, the uh, definite article, the prayers. So you can't go to church, you're already there as a Christian. True or false, Christians don't have to do anything. True. Right? Jesus said how many times, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's the point. 
The definition, the term gospel means no have-tos. It's all get-tos. It's all given-to. And it all flows from Christ to us into the lives of others. We do things because we have the opportunity to and the joy of doing so. Last true and false. Like Mick Jagger said, wild horses couldn't keep Christians from gathering. Not just wild horses, but a serious persecution from the Roman Empire, from uh, a Jewish religious establishment. What, why couldn't it prevent these people from gathering? Because this is what they were doing. They were gathering to realize the benefits of the body of Christ as that body physically congregated. So, right, the church invisible, the body of Christ exists, but it's a wonderful, inspiring, exciting thing to actually see it in one place and, right, as that body physically serving through the pastor. So the body of Christ is physical as we gather. The body of Christ is visible in the pastor. It's really there present with us. And it's physically served under the elements of bread and wine. So visible congregation, visible pastor, visible bread and wine, body and blood of Christ. And when did the early church do that? On the day of the sun, at the rising of the sun. And so like the Beatles said, I think they borrowed this from Jesus, come together over me. A great idea. Okay, just enough time to get in deep trouble here. The text goes on to say, with the severest of warnings, if we sin willfully and so forth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fire, indignation, which will devour the adversaries. I wanted to make sure you knew what to do with that text and other similar super scary texts. And I think the answer to the question comes in a question. What do you suppose it looks like and feels like when a person's trying to get past God in order to self-destruct? So you can imagine a teenager trying to go out and do all the wrong self-destruct kinds of things. Drive too fast, drink too much, do some drugs, all of that. Would you expect a loving parent to get in the way? No, you're not going out. As the teenager pushes harder, what's it feel like when the parent pushes harder back? Where's this going? Well, I don't know where it's going in the end, but I know what the point is. I would expect God and thank God for getting in my way when I'm that determined to self-destruct. Why is one person pounded by a wave? I've seen this every Saturday for a couple of years now. And another person brought delightfully to shore. It's the difference in relationship to the ocean. The one person standing there in defiance, bring it on, Pacific Ocean, kaboom. I've seen that. I've been that person. The other person having the most fun, riding in and in and in, it brings you right up and deposits you ever so gracefully. Yeah, that was good. So what is our relationship with God? Defiance or submission? It answers that question. And so such a severe text is offered as a prophylactic, if you will, as an antidote for this human nature of ours. Right? It's not there to destroy our confidence in the promises of God. Those confidences are as sure as a resurrected Jesus. But those super severe texts are there just to make sure that we never need them. And so in my pastoral experience, 
People read those texts and are terrified by them and come to me and say, am I guilty of that? And of course, the answer is, if you're concerned about it, you can't be guilty of it. It's only the person that ignores those texts that should be concerned about those texts or that flies in the face of those texts should be concerned. So an antidote to a very contrary human nature that God also provides for us. No more serious, no more absolute or profound or powerful, in fact, probably less, wouldn't you say, than the gospel with which God surrounds us and supports our life and regenerates us, a gospel that's absolute and comprehensive and ever with us, which is why we cling to it. So let's pray.